Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 91. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. Each time, one of us gets to choose a film or a TV show, usually, that the other person has never seen in, say, 99% of our episodes. Yes. And uh, this time, all I can say is that it was not my choice. That's right. And whatever unfolds now is due (laughs) to the opinions of my co-host and wife. (laughs) And wife. Ashley. (laughs) Uh, What did you choose? I chose uh, 1979 uh, classic horror film. Classic now, because 1979 is classic. Well, more than classic now. Anyway, uh, (laughs) Phantasm. Uh, Yeah. That's what I chose. Phantasm by director, writer, cinematographer, editor, Don Coscarelli. Don Coscarelli. He's the Orson Welles of the 1979 uh, straight-to-video movie. Uh, Yeah. This wasn't a straight-to-video movie. This actually did get it released. It was, yeah, B-movie showed in, I'm sure it showed in drive-ins, in the last gaps of drive-ins. So I'm thrilled that we get to enter the month of October with our, like, (laughs) creepy, weird cult movie sorts of things. And I know that's why you chose this one. But why did you actually choose this one? Where does it come from in your life? Uh, So it's funny, this film... The first time I saw it was, it was a rental uh, at theater camp in like, you know, 1999 or something. Tell me it was a tape. Was it a VHS tape? Yeah, we rented it. It was a VHS. We rented it from the the VHS store. Yeah. Video Gigante. No, it was theater. (laughs) Do you think my town was big enough to have a theater camp? No, this is Texas Tech University's summer theater camp for young dramatic teenagers and we've we certainly were dramatic so um <laughs> um we stayed at the dorms at texas tech and we did medea or no it was oedipus anyway one of the those are cheerful both of those yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't oedipus it was um the other one after oedipus anyway <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the connection here. Anyway, to, uh... it was it was Greek Greek <laughs> tragedy, and so one of the nights that we had um, free time, probably a Friday night, um, they were like, "Let's rent a movie," and um, so we we rented it from wherever and watched it. And um, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I was kind of it was the winter of my discontent, um, probably. <laughs> I was not, that was probably like the worst summer of my teenage years. Um, so um, there was a lot of drama going on in my life. So <laughs> I don't remember this movie a whole lot, but I do remember the sort of, I guess, mausoleum or burial vault scenes with the flying glass or the flying the sphere. sphere. Um, so, I mean, like it, it was, it was enough that I wanted, it, it stuck with me, some of the images and I wanted to go back and revisit it. it. I can't say it was like a very important film in my life, um, but it was. Uh, and then you know I love sort of the the sort of feel of seventies horror film. I don't know what it is, but I love Halloween and I love um, the one we did for the podcast a couple years ago. Um, I don't know. Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. That was, this, was this that is, last year? Yeah, I guess that was last year. This isn't as good as The Wicker Man, but it's its its own thing, you know. So, <laughs> I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. I've heard of it. I didn't know it had like such a cult following. Yeah. I didn't know there were four or five movies and that they just made one a few years ago. Yeah. 2015 or 2016, 20? I think, is the last one that came That's out. That's nuts. I had no idea. I have this completely. I know nothing about this series. Um, well, I and did... then I thought it, when you said we were going to do Phantasm, I just had this generic sort of like I was like, oh, it's one of those things like scanners or something. Yeah. Like it's from that era, you know. And oh I, yeah, and it I was. Is. I guess I think I was picturing a completely different 
kind of film than what we got. I don't really know. <laughs> I remember it being more elegant than it actually was watching it again. Like, I didn't realize that probably the reason they rented it was um, because it's something that you uh, laugh with your friends about rather than... Um, well, I don't know. I was yeah. having trouble. <laughs> you know, I was reading a, around a little bit um, just now to kind of get a sense of it. And it seems like it. there's a fair number of people who appreciate it for being just this weird, inventive, it is weird. eerie, sci-fi, yeah. horror, atmospheric film you yeah. know with things like you know like the tall man yeah which is this this giant what is he the the undertaker he's yeah. like this supernatural or alien undertaker yeah i mean who the hell knows what's actually going on in this yeah. movie i think i kind of know but it makes a little of... more sense than rocky horror picture show but not much <laughs> so what happened though what so i didn't know what I didn't know how to experience the movie. So we hit play. Yeah. And like our vibe with it immediately is sort of like appreciating the clunky low budgetness yeah. of it. Right. Because like from almost the first shot, we're, we're like, why are they just standing there on the road with that house? Like way back there. Yeah. Did they not get a permit to shoot? The the house? House. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually it's an unresolved question. I think that actually, it's, it's been, very important to me to find out the answer. We've been to debating this all weekend. Yeah. So Don Coscarelli, <laughs> we want to know if you had a permit to shoot at the, the house. That's the mortuary. The, uh, the, yeah. The, yeah. The, mortuary. Yeah. Because, uh, the, every time it's shown, it's always the same shot with with characters positioned there or else just the shot of the house from maybe the road or yeah. you know in, i think in it's such a park a i think it's in a park so it just or, has the feel yeah. of we didn't get permission to shoot here we put up the tripod for 10 minutes and, and shot some footage and then we just got it in every time well in the footage that we watched the other day where the director was talking with reggie um, he said they were there for two or three days because they do shoot a lot on that hillside. Yeah. But what I wonder is like, oh, we'll use this house in the background. And then there's scenes where the hearse is parked in front of it. So I wonder if like the hearse they rented, they just went and parked it like on the road in front of the house and then yeah. got a lot of footage of of the house with the hearse in front of it. Like, just so, just go move the hearse down there. That's true. <laughs> But we were, the way we experienced the movie was most of the time we were kind of laughing when yeah. we shouldn't be and like <laughs> commenting on the length of shots and like maybe it doesn't need the car coming all down, all the way down the road for 45 seconds. Or, yeah. Uh, my favorite, well, we can talk about this later, but the whatever, the flashback within the flashback with the kid at the fortune teller mm. flashing back to five minutes earlier when mm -hmm. he was in the, the scene right before he came there. Well, and the, like, yeah, the flashback <laughs> includes like a like a 10 second road scene for some reason so, of a car driving down a road. So, But <laughs> on the other hand, like it's obvious to me that like Don Coscarelli and this group of ragtag friends and stuff, they're... He he is actually pretty talented. I mean, like the, there's yeah. a lot of visual inventiveness mm. and professionalism. Even I want to say yeah. to like the guy can light a shot and yeah. put, put the camera in the right place most of the time. And so it's not. So we were there was a moment where we were kind of saying, well, it's, it reminds it's giving me like the room vibes. Yeah, but exactly. it's not as it's not a bad film like the room. I mean, not in the same no, way. No, the room. Tommy Wiseau absolutely doesn't know what the hell he's doing yeah. at all. This guy, at least I think visually and atmosphere-wise, atmosphere -wise, ha he has a vision of some kind. Yeah. And he's getting it on. Well, his on, night photography yeah. is amazing. Like the well, lighting setups and everything. I was thrilled that we weren't seeing like yeah. shitty day for night, like, you yeah. know, throw the filter on and, and shoot like at high noon and pretend to, There's some <laughs> that great the shadows scenes aren't there. in the cemetery and in the woods, you know, yeah. where um, Michael is like running around and you just see like the outline of his face. It's beautiful photography. So, But before we go any further into... Uh, how this all plays out and is realized can we try and puzzle out a couple of lines about what the story is and what's happening for anybody who hasn't seen it um so it's kind of a, a monster film um so this little boy michael um is hanging around the cemetery because his um older brother who has been out of town for a while um 
after their parents' death, he just abandoned his younger brother, but whatever. He's been out of town for a Does while. Does Mike live on his own? This 13-year-old kid? I think Who he lives he? with Sally. It's not clear because they cut too much out for us to understand <laughs> what actually happened before I don't understand what Mike's home life was before <laughs> uh, the brother, Jordan. So his, jo- what is his name? Jody? Jody, Jody yeah. yeah. His brother comes back to town for his friend's funeral. And I guess the opening scene is the murder of his friend, who's... <laughs> Okay. Yes. I forgot about this. The, but it, yeah, we open know, on a sex scene with the uh, mystery yeah. in the cemetery. Yeah. Um. And he gets murdered by this girl ghoul who turns out to be the tall man in disguise or something like that. It's it's unclear. Question. Yeah. <laughs> Why does the tall man turn into a woman and have sex with people to kill them? I don't know. It Is seems that like you could just kill. Couldn't you just kill, kill people? people? <laughs> I'm just going to say that's sort of an, an unresolved question. <laughs> I think maybe that might have been some of this, the explanation that ended up on the cutting room floor in favor of the car scenes, you know. Um. <laughs> I suspect that it's more a case of like he had a, he has he had a list of yeah. I want to shoot a scene that's like this and I want to shoot this. Yeah. like he had his whole wish list of all the crazy shit he wants to put in it. But there's yeah. no story or script yeah. that makes it all hang together. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, um, Jody's at his friend's funeral and meets up with his friend Reggie. And Michael is kind of following them around because, like, I guess he hasn't seen his brother in a while. And, you know, he's alone in the world other than Jody. Um, so while he's in the graveyard, he sees, um, like, some weird, like, creatures in hoods kind of, like, sneaking behind Headstones. The gravestones, yeah, the headstones. Yeah, and then he sees, after the funeral, um, after they've supposedly buried the body, he sees the tall man grab the casket that it formerly took, you know, eight guys to carry the casket out to the cemetery. He, like, picks it up himself and throws it back in the hearse and then drives it back down to so the house. So he didn't bury it. He takes yeah. it back to the, to the house. <laughs> um, and so Michael's a little freaked out by this. Um, so that's kind of starts everything is that michael is trying to figure out what's going on with this guy and the house and um uh, so he starts trying to investigate and things get creepier and creepier as 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 things go on you know and these guys are the kind of guys they don't just sit back and you know investigate and see what happens they like go into the house well and, let's go into the mortuary where the weird things are going yeah. on and people are disappearing <laughs> I can't just sit here. I've got to go. i got to go with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's puzzle out what, what they, what during the course of the movie we find out, sort of, yeah. is that the tall man mm-hmm. is He's doing something with is bodies. Is an alien or something? Or, yeah. Well, this, I don't even know. He's doing stuff with bodies is all he, they know They're grave first. robbing the bodies yeah. of people who, instead of burying them. Yeah. And he's... Turning them into dwarves. He's yes. reanimating them, the dead people, yeah. as dwarves. And squashing them. Or squashing something. them. He's got a room where they're in barrels yeah. that we see towards the end of the movie. I thought it was toxic waste, but it's actually people in barrels. So unfortunately, their, uh, their friend, uh, whoever they're burying. Tommy or something? Tommy, like whatever. He's turned into a yeah. dwarf. And the reason is that He's transporting them through a dimension to his own planet or another portal or something where where they're slave labor. Yes. Because the gravity is so heavy, they have to be dwarves. So it was a death to plan nine from outer space. They're grave robbers from outer space. Robbing the graves. He's reanimating them, turning them into dwarves. So, and then this is what uh, the kid, Mike, what is he, like 12 or 13? 13, I think, yeah. Mike and, uh, and his brother Jody and their... Jody's best friend Reggie, who runs the ice cream shop, or yeah, he's no, he his drives outside the truck. ice cream truck, yeah. Truck, yeah. Which at some point <laughs> they store uh, their friend Tommy's uh, dead dwarf Rian body in. But, yeah, yeah. He's like, do you he's think that's like, gonna be? Is bad it gonna and, get all over my ice cream? Probably. <laughs> and we were thinking like you probably shouldn't put the dead well, body and uh, in also, with the so ice cream. The tall man, we find out in his in Michael's first visit to the mausoleum slash weird burial space, um, he slams the tall man's finger in a door, and we discovered that the tall man is filled with nacho cheese. Yes, and that his finger doesn't die 
Um, if you sever it from his body. Yeah, so he he severs the finger yeah. when he slams the door, and he takes it, because mm-hmm. of course you're going to take the, the finger, finger with yeah. you. He puts it in a box and sticks it in his pocket and escapes. And it turns... And, that, and that's how he convinces... Um, his brother Jody, and yeah. uh, Reggie that this that this is happening. Yeah, that what he saw is true. Because remember, they see the finger. He's like, "Okay, I believe you now," or whatever. Yeah. Well, and then at some point, the finger turns into a giant alien fly or something mm. like that, which is the finger. Yeah, turns into a an insect. Yeah, which. So, <laughs> I, I gotta say, one of the things I love about this movie is we're in the glorious world of practical effects before. Yeah. Before, you know, CGI, basically. So they're going to make a fly on a a string and flap it around and tell the actors to flail. Yeah. Flail, flail. (laughs) Um, So that's what we got in that scene. They they ended up uh, getting it down into the garbage disposal, I think. It came came up at least once. At least once, yeah. Um, So... uh, (laughs) This movie is nuts. Yes. I just want to say, what is this? What did we watch? <laughs> I can't... Like, I still don't really understand. Like, I can't even remember everything that we saw. <laughs> and, well, and I, I mean, start, like, so I, the first <laughs> thing, though, after Michael sees this, the first thing... You know, the first thing he does is he goes to the psychic. As you do, you see a weird thing. You go see the weird psychic, you know old lady and her granddaughter but the old lady doesn't speak she looks dead she's yeah. just like completely like comatose or something yeah. and the girl speaks for her the young granddaughter or whatever yeah. <laughs> I t- you know that and actually and what's the thing where they have uh, mike reach into the box yeah oh, oh yeah and then when they collect it's all in it, your mind when he pays yeah. he puts his money on the table and it vanishes that's right with the box yeah because they it's have actual triggering. powers, but that didn't seem to phase Mike at all. No, he's like, he, what? He's well, like, he okay. clearly has been to the psychic before. He knows how this works. Okay. Well, I didn't know how it works, so <laughs> well, it was new to me. Well, the thing is, like, I would have loved that movie. Whatever that movie was, I would stay in that movie and see what's happening with the girl and her weird psychic grandmother thing. That was fascinating. <laughs> I'm curious to see some of the other ones. Did they say that um, one of the... Phantasm sequels is basically like a remake with a slightly bigger budget. Or, I don't know. Or, or I don't did know. I make that so up? it's like Evil or is, Dead. That's Evil Dead. I know yeah. Evil Dead did that. <laughs> um, so you know, we we uh, read a little bit about the background, and yeah. you found that um, that weird the YouTube making of thing yeah. that where they have all their like behind the scenes Super Eight footage that they shot yeah. with Don Coscarelli and. And uh, Reggie Bannister, the guy who plays mm, Reggie. Reggie. Reggie's played by Reggie. And Michael's Mike is played by, by Mike. Michael. Yeah. yeah. Mike is played by A. Michael Baldwin. Jody's Bill Thornbury. Mm-hmm. The tall man has the best. The tall man, Angus Scrim. Yeah. He's he's good. <laughs> I my favorite thing that we got out of that uh, doc, that making of yeah. discussion thing. Um, was that the first day of shooting, they have the tall man in costume for the first time, and it's the scene where Michael is supposed to look out the window and see he's the just, tall man, he's and he's supposed there, to be frightened. There. And, like, the kid cannot stop laughing every time she, <laughs> he, he looks out the window, so they do cut after cut after cut, you know. <laughs> so, apparently, uh, the movie was, like, completely amateur, low-budget, Indie, true indie filmmaking, like where it's the guy and his friends basically making this it's movie. It's like the gorilla filmmaking book kind yeah, of Yeah, his dad put up yeah. a lot of the money. Um, his mom did effects, costumes, mm. makeup. Um, he got friends to be in the movie. Yeah. He's made a few films before this, yeah. I think. And then they're just shooting it whenever they can on the weekends. Yeah. And... They Which like means twenty one hour shoots. They were or shooting crazy. 20 one hour shoots. <laughs> <That's nuts. laughs> um, I was, it was like, I don't think that's though, union. It's not. <laughs> it's not union. It's an. It's basically. It's a. It's a whole movie. I mean, yeah. it's a. It's a indie movie. But I mean, they're. I I loved I loved seeing the behind the scenes footage because, 
they're making it like a real movie. Yeah. I mean, they've they're they've got you know trailers, and yeah. they're they're renting a warehouse that they've converted into a soundstage, and they're dragging that giant wind machine around, yeah. you know, to blow all <laughs> manner of stuff all in the air in front of the Undertaker house during uh, one of the scenes with the uh, lavender lady trying to seduce Mike. I think in that case, yeah. no, not Mike, uh, Jody, the older yeah. brother. Nobody tries to seduce Mike, as far as I know, except yeah. maybe Reggie in the last scene. That yeah. was a little off. <laughs> That's a little odd. No, sorry, I'm good. <laughs> um, so what that this reminded me a lot of the kind of filmmaking that we were doing in about 1990 in mm. San Diego when I went to UCSD and. Uh, I was in uh, the film club, like, you know, the extracurricular, just the film club on campus. Mm. And we were making like a low budget horror film. And it was just, you know, us, it was like maybe, maybe 15 or 20 of us, like student filmmakers who were taking film classes, but wanted to make films on our own and rotate through the different roles and stuff like that. We like got local people to be in it and stuff but it was that kind of thing like we're we're gonna do it you know we've got our 16 millimeter camera and we've got the gaffer and we've got we're taking the light readings and we're gonna lay track down you know we're trying to make a movie but it's just a bunch of friends like me or kids like making a movie it doesn't look that great i mean and what don coscarelli does is much better but i'm just saying it reminds me it has that like shagginess to it that kind yeah. of rough around the edges um but the joy of like making a, a movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that, and like it was immediately obvious is that they had cut out a lot in order to, I mean, I think we, we found out that it, they cut out a lot um, in order to, to make it a shorter film. It's about an hour and a half long. Well, I understand the story was he did a test screening that really didn't go very well and yeah. audiences felt it was too long or whatever it was. So he said he, he cut, cut out all the like char- all the character development and like that that really is true. But like the way that it was sliced, I mean like but if you- it was if it was intentional, then I don't know. For me like in storytelling, like you have the choice of you can show the whole journey. Yeah. Or you can say they're going to the other side of space and then the next part is they're on the other side of space. Um and this like it was like an odd combination of the two in a weird way. So sometimes it would have like this like maybe like as much as a 20 second shot of a car driving down a road. They loved that car. Yeah, it was a nice car. I I like mu- I like muscle cars. And then it would you know, have the same establishing shot that you have someone arriving somewhere and and going in somewhere. You really just need to show. But someone you could just show them getting in the, in the car and then arriving and then arriving there. And so, like that seems like that twenty seconds you could have used to, um, you know, tell us a little bit about Mike and Jody and their relationship that we don't really get. So I. I think you do have to be kind of smart about how you do that, but there is a way to sort of shortcut. But to, to me, like to him, the plot wasn't important. He was more interested in the photography and the special effects, which is fine. Um, but what we have is kind of like not a very clear so so you, story structure. You have weird, <laughs> weirdly edited sequences, yeah. like the car taking too long to get And it has place. odd voiceover where you don't know if people are talking to each other or if well, it's he's voiceover. Trying to, he's yeah. trying to make these transitions where the tail end of yeah. the conversation carries over into the next scene. Yeah. But the next scene shows the same people who are talking yeah. and the others. So it's kind of a weird... Well, and, French and like, New Wave oddly, it's that he was very influenced by Suspiria, the Argento film, which, like, I can see that in some of the stuff. You yeah, know, and I, the music. Yeah. The, oh, the music is fantastic. <laughs> so the music's by somebody named Frederick Myro. Yeah. Who was inspired, I think, by Goblin and, and uh, the Suspiria sort of soundtrack. And it's yeah. all weird synth and, like, percussion, you know, really cymbals and really just... I would I would buy the soundtrack. I yeah. mean, I'm sure that Mondo has it, put it out or something like it, that. It, is, <laughs> it has a reputation as being one of yeah. the best horror soundtracks from yeah. this era. Like, it's on its own. Yeah. <laughs> Not just because it rings Phantasm Bell. Um, well, and some of the design elements, like... 
I mean, other than the sort of burial vault that they do some of the scenes in, like, that is really, like, cool, like, classic horror look. It's, like, got the white marble and, like, red curtains and, um, like, these classic busts of statues, you yeah, know, Yeah, you said you got uh, Twin Peaks vibes from, yeah, it's, from uh, it's some Twin of those Peaks. shots. I really liked that. I mean, like, it was obviously not, you know, marble. You know, it would be cool if they could reshoot that in, like, a space that... Because yeah. it actually would be beautiful. I mean, you couldn't do crazy stunts in there. Um, but then the... This, you know, having that like weird weapon that like drills into people's heads, the ball, the floating ball in that space was really cool. And the way they lit that was neat. So, I mean, like visually, that was a really interesting. I don't you know, know what the deal is with the sphere. Yeah. But I love the sphere. Yeah. I thought it was a bigger deal in the I show than I was, it was. I was waiting for it to come in more often. No, they just, actually, just twice. If you have that sphere, why does the tall man need to turn into a woman and have sex with people in the <laughs> graveyard? Why doesn't he just kill people with the sphere? Why does and why does he have to why does he have to wait for people to die naturally in yeah. order to grave rob their bodies? I don't yeah, understand. I don't know. So I'm having trouble with the, this idea that they cut out the character development. Do you really think there's that much more character development? <laughs> I mean, would it be scenes just explaining backstory or exposition or something? I or? would I would guess. I also, the other weird thing about is other than the tall man who turns into a woman to have sex with men in order to kill them, um, <laughs> there are no other women except for briefly, like, Mike goes to visit goes to stay with them yeah we're like two-thirds of the way <laughs> through the movie and you're like there's like no women in this movie yeah and then they just exist in order they they die immediately i mean pretty much immediately i think like, those two women got away they said they got away oh did they yeah. i don't remember that it looked like they got captured but then in dialogue later uh, okay he said that they got away okay yeah so they just drove off without... The tall man took them back to the mortuary, but they escaped. Okay, that's right. It was just right. said in dialogue, I yeah. swear. <laughs> so I guess that's who Mike was staying with before. I don't... I'm, I'm not clear so, on that. L- let me tell you. Like, I was, I was not prepared <laughs> for the weirdness and the revelation that this is somehow connected to another dimension and like, or mm. like an, a portal... To transport to an alien planet or, yeah like so they've got they end up in this room in the mortuary that's got like those two giant tuning forks or something like a yeah. giant tuning fork and that uh is it mike who reaches through yeah and he actually through. gets pulled through yeah. and ends up in this like weird red planet yeah. existence nothingness <laughs> sort of thing where he's, and he's like he's immediately like they're slaves it's fascinating they're slaves. it's yeah. slave labor that they want <laughs> yeah I was impressed he was able to pull that together so quickly, you know. You know what the best thing is? No, it's not the best thing. But I love the the thing where um, um, Jody, the older brother, is just like, no, you're going to stay safe. You're going to be here in your room. You're not coming this time. And he, like, locks him in his room and sticks the screwdriver in the door. Mm. And then little Mike has, like, the little shotgun shell that he picked up earlier. And he figures out how to MacGyver it to a a hammer, hammer, tapes it all up to a hammer, and then hits the door and blows a hole through and manages to escape. That was pretty cool. I like that. Well, also, we found out during the making of scene that the first take with the explosive has the kid right next to it. I think all the other takes they used a stuntman. But the one they used in the movie was the first take that was just the one with the kid. Was he not supposed to do it? It doesn't they... seem like you should something you should have a kid anywhere near in my view, but <laughs> Well, I read that um somebody almost got injured just using shooting with the blanks, too. Yeah. Because um I think somebody caught fire somebody's jacket caught fire i think it was jody's jacket caught they didn't realize that the blanks were as dangerous as they were that they were you know fire hazard yeah well they're explosive you know so they had a close call with the blanks too i mean (laughs) well i mean like because i was reading about the terrible accident in new mexico um last year recently and like the one on the Alec Baldwin shoot yeah and like it's amazing how much can go wrong even if you're professionally trained and have all these safeguards in place like that um all it takes is one person making a mistake you know and 
and like terrible consequence. So like this is terrifying that, you know, there's amateurs, you know, involving themselves with that. I mean, well, I mean, like think about it's not just that time, but you know, um, also a minor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and Brandon Lee from the crow, you know, who was killed. Was that a blank misfire too? It was a blank misfire. Yeah. Um, it's just just some mishandling of of which gun was which, and um, yeah, someone ends up dead. So like that's pretty terrifying that um, uh, that miners would, uh, not miners, um, non you know, non professionals, <clears throat> amateurs would be you know dealing with that sort of firepower. Yeah. You know that people can access those sort of things. Um, you know, I guess we're lucky that. <laughs> Yeah, who knows if they had professional stunt drivers or anything, you know, they just, they didn't have too much of, like, crazy road driving, I don't think, but... Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, I was reading um, some of the pull, the quotes they pulled from critics and reviewers yeah. about the movie, and it, and it seems like a lot of people take this film to be this, to be this surrealist dreamlike vision that's yeah. that's supposed to be take maybe supposed to be taking place in the mind of the kid yeah. like that it's and it's based upon his his um it's the trauma of his trauma of losing his parents, losing yeah. his parents yeah. the fear of death and it and and so the film is is um capturing this sort of between waking and dreaming state mm-hmm. where things don't really make sense. And I'm like, yeah, or maybe the script didn't make that much sense. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it, it in the end, you know, you have something, you have the film, yeah. and you can ex- you can deal with the film that you have and say, it's supposed to be this way. Yeah. Or you can say... It's a happy accident. <laughs> right. It's a happy accident that makes a very dreamlike, surreal film. So... I mean, and I think some of that comes from the sort of tacked on ending that they have, which is we've like they defeat in the in the in the story they defeat the tall man by making him fall into a mine <laughs> and then causing an avalanche that knocks a mine that they mentioned four minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah. I'll go. We'll I'll go, go prepare the mine. We'll go to the abandoned <laughs> mine and I'll cover it up so I'll that be he right falls back. into it and then. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then causes, they didn't, they failed to mention the planned avalanche that would keep the rocks in there that would keep, exactly. keep it. But anyway, um, so then they have like Michael waking up and like Reggie's there with him. And like Reggie died in the, died, had died. We saw him die, but there's Reggie there again. And then it's like, it's okay. It's just a dream. And so like the scene at the end, like, um, like they revealed that Jody actually died in a car accident, and this whole thing that we've just watched is a bizarre dream that Mike Michael had to deal with the loss of his parents and his brother. I really wish they didn't add that. And so, like, if you do go backwards and use that to explain, like, this sort of, so you know, Michael's thirteen. You know, you sort of like the last trickles of like magical thinking of childhood yeah yeah you know i so i can i could see that explanation working but it doesn't work for me as like an explanation for the whole first half of the film it sounds it's like a backwards explanation so it's like if you add this frame of the of this weird ending where it was all a dream and his brother's then actually dead. Then it excuses dead. some of the illogic of yeah. the plot because <laughs> it's it's more of an anxiety dream or, yeah. or the processing of trauma but I mean, like, why? Why couldn't they just end it with them? Like, here's you know? my interpretation: <laughs> yes. the end where he wakes up from the dream and he's with Reggie. Yeah. And Reggie tells him that Jody's actually the one who died and everything's okay. That's the dream. Okay. And the rest is real. That's okay. my interpretation. Interesting. Okay. Because I'd rather. I think the other is far more interesting. Yeah. To think that on some level in the world of this movie this all did unfold yeah that's i was because i was with i was going along with it yeah. i was like okay so that's gonna happen now huh all yeah. right and now there's dwarves <laughs> okay and the, the sphere can drill people's heads and then yeah. you know um 
And the, <laughs> the tall man can manifest as, you know, a random woman every once in a while. Yeah. It's fascinating. And yeah. that's the world we're in. It's so disappointing whenever you get that it was just a dream kind of yeah. explanation for something. And so I just don't, I want to reject that. Yeah. I just want to say, let's call the ending the dream. Yeah. The dream that tries to comfort him about what actually just unfolded. So, I mean, like, if... So he says he was a fan of Suspiria. I wonder if he has seen other sort of European sort of scary horror films from, like, the 50s and 60s. Um, well, he was also apparently really inspired by the Ray Bradbury novel, Something Wicked This Way Comes. And he originally wanted to do a straight adaptation yeah. of Something Wicked, but it had already been... Um, Purchased options yeah. and there was a film around the same time with uh, Jason Robards and I think Disney produced it um, so he wanted the elements that he took was that idea of young people with something insidious and deathly happening and maybe supernatural that the adults in your life don't believe is happening but yeah. you know it is and you're trying to convince people that kind of and that's kind of a dream like yeah. circumstance too something horrible is unfolding and nobody will believe you yeah. So that's kind of how he he comes in with comes up with this character of Mike and his brother and and them trying and trying to convince them that something's going on at the uh, mausoleum, the Undertaker. Do you remember that we it was it was on Criterion maybe a couple years ago, but it was like a Czech I want to say film. Yeah, it's with uh, the vampires. Uh, Valerie and her uh, world of wonders. Yeah, yeah. It reminded me of that, and with the, all the weird stuff that happens, you know, just like how like. Things that seemed normal, and then in your weird imagination, it's, you know, this... That is a cool movie. Yeah. <laughs> that truly was, like, a surrealism. Yeah. <laughs> Intentionally. Yeah. Well, another thing I read is that... I think it was Reggie Bannister... Mm-hmm. Um said, you know, we never really saw like a whole script for the yeah. movie and that there were there was a sense that that Don Coscarelli was, you know, actively putting writing. it putting it together and writing scenes on the fly. And so he had the overall idea or arc in his mind, but like it's that kind of thing where they didn't know themselves the logic of the story or what necessarily they would be shooting next or how it all hangs together and uh and also i believe they ended up shooting four or five endings not sure how they would would end it how they would end it and so now here we are saying we're a little bit disappointed with the ending that they chose i'm kind of curious to see what the other endings are i wonder if that so they came out with a remastered one like four or five years ago well uh jj abrams turned out to be a fan of Phantasm and wanted to screen it and Don Coscarelli was like thrilled but he was like but I don't have a good print I don't have anything good to give you the elements are all it's not really in good shape and through that conversation Abrams ended up bringing in his company Bad Robot and they said let's restore it let's go back and and strike a new 4k restoration all that so it looks gorgeous now yeah I mean it it really looks great and they, um, I th- I'm sure they redid the sound because the the print we saw with the surround sound, that score with the percussion yeah, all around really you, awesome. and the and uh, the the feeling that the sounds in the distance really are straight ahead off in the horizon, you know. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so and apparently it was like out of print for 20 years or something like that, which makes me wonder if what we saw was like some like. I don't I don't know if it was like a bootleg copy from this kid's personal collection or whether like just the just the movie houses in Lubbock were So what year around would that have been when you saw the 99 so Maybe it was still on tape then Maybe I, No they said it was like out of print for like 20 years or more apparently so hmm. um I'm sure we can look at the Wikipedia entry yeah. they usually have the uh, or the IMDb will show you the history of releases on it usually. Well, I mean the thing is is that Lubbock was like one of those places where like you could go into a movie ha- store and see like like they just didn't get rid of them. They just kept them forever. Our blockbuster was fascinating. It had so much weird stuff in it. You know, yeah, they might have had. The they tape just didn't that, get rid of it. They, they just might kept have had it. a copy yeah. that came out in eighty one or yeah. something on tape. I used to just go and pick out weird stuff at that blockbuster, um, the one down the street from the university. So, 
doesn't this seeing a movie like this make you really miss video stores? I miss video like, stores. You could go to the cult horror aisle or yeah. something or just pick up some off weird so, and we're just box and walk away with it and not know what you're getting. We're just like a year and a half off, I think, from the le- the death of the last Great Austin video store. Like our um, Vulcan went out of business maybe three years ago, and then I Love Video, which was like the last hanger on, went a- about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, but those were like those were like they were curated to be cult stores especially i love video was a very much a cult um uh store but like but yeah there was this sort of like you could go in and find just weird stuff i just that that you can't do that anymore you know i remember like how important it was everywhere i've lived in my life to find the store that was like that yeah and in San Francisco in the 80s and 90s, we had Le Video out mm-hmm. on 9th and Le. Judah or 9th and Irving sort of area. And um, we had uh, Kensington Video in San Diego, which was, I used to drive, like, it was like a, not a, it was like a half hour drive or something from UCSD to go yeah, there. Yeah, And be able to go there and just, San Diego. <laughs> yeah, and, and grab any, uh, you know, tape, yeah. you know. And uh, New York had Kim's video. Mm. Um, we had Vulcan video and I Love video here. Yeah. All really important at various points in my life. And there's nothing really like that anymore. <laughs> I know they exist. In I was just reading about a really weird video store um, that's still like that. Mm. That's in New York. Um, Interesting. It's a great profile on it. Well, it's just funny because, like, we, I mean, like, as, you know, it's funny because, like, we've seen the sort of, like, the formats change and then go backwards, which is weird. Uh, I think my dad would have been fascinated by this whole, like, the revival of vinyl and now the revival of uh, cassette tapes. He would have been fascinated by this whole thing. But, like, one thing that, you know, the sort of speeding up of the format changes that happened starting in the 70s and moving up through the 90s is that every time you switch to a new format, you're losing all this back catalog of less popular stuff that's just never going to get changed over into the new format. So when we switched from VHS to DVD, like there's all these VHSs that we lost, you know, and they just, that may have been the only format they ever existed in, you know, and they're just gone. And like people threw them out and, you know, recycled them and like, you know, these video stores were holding on to, to, um, to weird treasures like I used Phantasm. To use a mail order catalog yeah. when I was a teenager or in college to get like B movies and cult movies, this kind of a yeah. thing, like cult movies. I remember ordering Roger Corman movies like Bucket of Blood and Little Shop of Horrors just so that I could see them, you know, or even or weirder stuff. Yeah. And and you'd get a tape in the mail with a homemade, you know, box cover and everything, just yeah. Xeroxed. It was awesome. The But now we're so down the road of streaming and algorithms that I don't... We're going to lose awareness of, of, like, the vast catalog of interesting movies at yeah. some point. And so I think it's so important to support things like criterion channel or just anything that curates for you we're we're entering october and they just dropped the uh 80s horror collection like the value of having somebody who loves that and who is an expert in that pull all of these obscure things at least two-thirds of them i've never even heard of before i don't know that i would watch a whole lot of them. Some yeah. of them are probably more graphic than I would care to yeah. undertake. But there's a lot of really interesting films there that I would never have encountered another way. And so to have things that curate for you is maybe even more important now that we've lost things like the video store. Yeah. Well, and I would I would say that, that you know, even... So, like, people talk about the internet like this. I mean, and like, it's good and bad, but, like that you can find anything on the internet was, well, A, one isn't true, but two is that you have to know where to look. And, like, the thing is, is because there's so many, like, weird cubby holes that the internet, to even find out about this, like, I guess you would have to get involved in, like, cult film forums or something like that, you know? And so for a casual person who, like, you know, I love 70s 
cult horror. That's my, it's one of my things that I love, but I don't, I'm like, I'm not on 70s cult horror Reddit or anything like that. So like. I'm on boutique Blu-ray Reddit. Yeah. (laughs) Where do I, where would I go? And like, for some of this stuff, I would worry about like, what kind of search terms, like you wouldn't ever search some of these things because you don't know what you'd run across on the internet. You know, it's not, you know. Even on the internet, we keep to our, like, safer, well-lit neighborhoods. You know, if you get down too dark in the weeds, it's a... um, You're afraid of what you're going to run across, you know, so... (laughs) So, because of the Criterion, things like the Criterion and the 80s horror collection that they dropped, and I think it's, like, 30 films or something Mm -hmm. like that, I started watching a movie last night um, called The Fun House. It was by Toby Hooper, who directed Poltergeist the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And, you know, he's he's a name in horror. Yeah. And uh, I had never heard of the film before. And uh, it's not bad. I'm yeah. really enjoying it. It's also not super gross or anything. Yeah. It was just, again, it was kind of stylish and atmospheric. And, like, I would never have known about it. Yeah. But somebody plucked it out of whatever, the ether, yeah. and put it in front of me and said, hey, this is worth watching on your Saturday night. So... I don't know. But most of the time now, when we're logging on to our, our apps on our TVs or whatever, you're, lo- you're, you're hitting your Netflix. Yeah. What is the Netflix interface? It's yeah. just a thing that shows you giant ads for whatever it is they're pushing at the time. They show you everything they've just dropped. And, it, and there's no real way to get into the catalog yeah. or browse it other than flipping down through various rows of things that have like 12 movies and yeah. say, you know, romantic 90s horror comedy thing, you know, whatever. That's not how you... <laughs> we're, we're, we're leaving it up to algorithms yeah. to choose like 80 films that they want us to watch or yeah. something instead of being having access to the world. Like you need yeah. to develop an, a, a knowledge and a love of movies and some kind of expertise almost to be able to find the good stuff. Yeah, that's true. Now, I, this is a, like a real librarian's rant that we're going on here now. This is like niche librarian well, stuff. But I'm, I mean, essentially, but, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about is in favor of... So they, you know, there's probably people who've done research on the type of psychology that of people looking for things and like you know 60 or 70 percent of people just want to be able to see with their eyes what the movies are um it's very weird to me the netflix menu in particular is because it's so like based on images and like sometimes i look at the images and i'm like i don't know what that is can you tell me in words what this movie is you know so the stills they choose don't make any sense to me um, so like, I, like when I'm searching for a movie, I don't want, you know, little thumbnails of, or of images. You'll you end know? up noticing after a while, and HBO Max does this too, yeah. that they keep putting the same movies in every category. Yeah. If you cycle through enough, then something that was a horror movie is also a comedy or yeah. the drama is also like, a. A, a, a comedy or romance or something it doesn't it's like they know the hundred movies they want us yeah. to watch and they're just going to kind of group them yeah. in different ways that you can only search visually well i mean and the truth is is this is the hundred movies that they can that they have that they bought this month in order to for you to stream you know it's it's not even that deep i mean like <laughs> but why is this important because well i wouldn't know about phantasm had you not curated that's it for true. me it's i just true. wouldn't have known about yeah. it it's never been on like a to watch list Well, and i wouldn't have known about it if um you know eric or steven or whoever it was from theater camp didn't like this like guys you gotta see this movie so we did you know but this whole podcast is about hey you <laughs> yeah, gotta see this it's movie. true <laughs> but um I'm, I'm glad we went back and watched it i i honestly didn't I mean, like, I guess my understanding of when you're when you're 17 years old and you're at theater camp is that if you're going to watch a horror film, and the thing is, is like, I should have understood this that that theater kids like weird things; they just do. And so, like, it should have occurred to me that he was showing to us in in a sort of tongue and cheek way. I thought he was just showing but us was a horror he, film. Or did this movie play more as a horror film when you're that age? I just, and, and that that long ago. I, well, I can I can only tell you that. 
my knowledge of theater kids is that having watched this again, that this is totally meant well, to, to, for us to giggle about together. Do you guys as, remember laughing at the movie or laughing with the movie? I, so like I don't the, remember much about watching it other than the scene with the ball, you know, so... Um, <laughs> But, I mean, like, my understanding of other theatrical kids at the time, which is, like, everybody had already seen Monty Python, so this was something else that we could watch, like Monty Python, in a weird way. But the thing is, is I didn't have the film vocabulary at the time to understand why. I mean, like, when we were watching it, it was, like, all the cuts and all the weird shots and the odd flashbacks and the weird voiceover and everything like that, like... I have that vocabulary now. I didn't have that when I was 17 years old. I didn't have a f- such a complete or a more complete understanding of how films are made. And, and like, I mean, other than the sort of instinctual thing that you get when you, you know, <laughs> like I knew, I, I, I mean, at the time, I guess I knew that like Forces of Attraction was a terrible film. Um, when I, I saw that, that in the theater, it's, it's bad. It's, Terrible Ben Affleck and Sandra Bullock movie, maybe? Okay. Um, I saw that in the theater, and it was boring and awful, but I couldn't have told you why. Um, You know. You know. (laughs) But now I probably could if we watched that. I'm fascinated with the fact that you chose this movie (laughs) that you really didn't remember. You just remember that it was weird enough to take a second look at. Well, I was thinking we need a horror film. Um, I knew you hadn't seen it, so I just... Why not revisit and see what see what it's like, you know, because I did remember certain visuals and and I am Oh, you know. Let me just say I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I had a great time with this movie. I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's a great film, but it's a very enjoyable film. Yeah, yeah. I would watch it again. Yeah. I'm tempted to watch it again soon just because <laughs> it's so strange and creative and inventive. Yeah. That it's almost like, did this really happen or am I just misremembering it? Yeah. You know, I don't even know. And I was wide awake too, yeah. which is good because it would have even made less sense if I was in my usual sort of Well, there's just so Dave many mode. weird things. Like one thing that was, it still bothers me is like in the opening scene where the, the, the lady is like having sex with Tommy in the graveyard, like the way her body's positioned is wrong. Like they have the shot of her feet on top She's of his basically feet. basically lying flat on top it, of That him. doesn't work. That's that, not how it's, sex it's not works effective. in linear time. <laughs> and that's, I don't know why that bothers me. He is an alien. I guess he doesn't understand how um, anatomy works. Um, <laughs> and then there's just like this awkward shot of her boobs right before she stabs him too. It's very strange. It's it's an R-rated uh, <laughs> horror movie. You have to have show boobs. Yeah, and what and you know we didn't talk about it in detail, but like when Tommy goes to see the psychic, I don't know if there's some he's supposed to be telling them what happened or something like that. But what we get is he's at the psychic, and then all of a sudden they cut to a scene of a car on the road, which you think you're establishing another scene. Um, and then there's this whole conversation between Mike and Jody, and it's like it's like maybe a three minute sequence, and so you think that the movie has moved on from the psychic thing, and we just don't get to find out what happened. And then it turns out that it actually was Michael either telling the story to the women or just remembering it as well. Then and then <laughs> it shows him. It again shows him hiding behind the gravestone with the binoculars That's and right. seeing the, the tall man. That we just man, saw that scene. Which we just saw. <laughs> yeah. But it's now a flashback of something that we just saw. Yeah. That maybe he's telling the fortune teller, which I think is the implication. Yeah. That is so weirdly edited. That, yeah. That we were like laughing. We were like, <laughs> at the end, about three quarters of the way through the movie, we were both like, it's going to cut back to the fortune telling scene, isn't it? <laughs> We've been in the fortune tellers this whole time. Yeah. Um, so I mean that might have that you know that's a little confused, but <laughs> those were the other women. That the rest, I think the little girl actually goes to the cemetery to check things out, and we just hear a scream. So we don't. I mean, like I didn't she even was catch that. that. that yeah. I missed that. There's this one scene that shows her going in through the morning side gates, and then uh, I don't even remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you hear a scream. We, we rented this, and it's already expired, so I can't yeah. even look at it again. <laughs> I would go to see this at the Alamo Draft House oh, yeah. with an audience. Uh, I think it's everything you want in like a cult movie or yeah. a movie party kind of thing or something that you'd see late at night with an audience who knows it and is fond of 
either knows this particular film really well, like a Rocky Horror yeah. or something, or else just is in the mood for a silly, creative, spooky yeah. film. The, the thing is, for me, it's not scary at all. It doesn't... It, I never experienced it like a horror movie. Like, yeah. So I don't... I'm sure its intention is to be scary, but... I don't know what it is. If it's it's too much time has passed, the mechanics of the film are a little too clunky. We're we're aware of it as a movie. Um, we're aware of things where you know the screenplay doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Or, you know, there's there's a, there's not a there's no suspension of disbelief. Yeah. I guess so. Like I can't say it's like an effective horror movie, yeah. but it's a very entertaining movie, <laughs> and I. <laughs> I don't mean to be down on the movie yeah. at all. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't scary to me. Yeah. I don't know how it could be. Maybe it's just, you know, a movie from 1979. Uh, that's made for $300,000 with your friends. Just can't quite do that. So I'm trying to think about, like... I'm, I'm, I have a working theory on why I like 70s films. And it, I mean, like, the thing is, is we know that, you know, horror theory is that the horror films that arise out of a particular era or generation spawn from the sort of unexpressed or expressed fears of that generation, you know, um, like, you know, in the atomic age, like the you know, in the fifties, like there was all this fear of nuclear stuff. So there was all this stuff about zombies and, you know, people changing forms and being mutated and, and that sort of thing and giant ants and, you know, you know, things being affected by the science that we were doing at the time, all these advances are going to cause this terrible thing. But I think like in the seventies, there was this like after Watergate and um, the Vietnam war and all that, there was all this sort of like this, miasma of like unseen things so we had this really focus on this sort of supernatural like you know um poltergeist and um which is, i guess is early 80s but um um head spins around exorcist exorcist yeah um wicker man is the same thing but it's all this like fear of this sort of like unknown unseen you know, unexplainable forces that that are outside of human understanding, which is interesting because to me, and then the, it, it kind of gets at it sort of an existential dread about not being a, to fully being able to fully understand the world and all the things in it, um, which to me is a lot more meaningful than like the constant like we I, I mean, for a while we were in like zombies all the time, all zombies mm-hmm. all Everything the time. Everything was a variation of a zombie. And now we've got this sort of like meta horror that goes on, which like some of it is quite good. But, but we've gone yeah. far away from horror as horror. Yeah. Something that's generally <laughs> shocking and mysterious. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I love uh, It Follows. Like, that's a newer film. Yeah. But, uh, um, but again, it, it you know, it, it sort of dwells on the sort of society's obsession with the, like, evils of, you know, sex and morality, and, and which is all stuff that, that most horror explores in some way. But I, there's something about the 70s sort of particular fascination with that sort of supernatural elements mm-hmm. that I really speaks to me. It feels like it feels tied to, I don't know, I just there's something about it. So I like that, um, that aspect of it. And, and this film certainly has, you know, a little bit of that until it turns into aliens, which like, well, I was also thinking <laughs> at some point, late 70s, early 80s, you get a lot more body horror kind yeah. of stuff. And I think that's when Cronenberg is mm-hmm. really at his at his height. And so I don't know if that comes out of like the AIDS epidemic yeah. or or some of those kinds of well, issues. And all the on. cancer from smoking. Cancer. Yeah. yeah. Like this shit is actually changing us. We're, yeah. you know, <laughs> we're all mutants in some way. Well, and I think I mean like if I if I got more into like what seventies I mean, maybe it's this fear of like what it means to be separated from nature. Like mm-hmm. if you separate your I mean, Wicker Man really gets into that. If you're separated from, you know that 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 you'll cease to understand what's going on in the mm-hmm. natural world. That there there's yeah. But there's that paranoia that what you 
think is real may not be real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But for me, that 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 calls to me more than a lot of the more modern... Well, and certainly the... I mean, like, I like zombie films. I think... I think politically they they're you know interesting, but like I'm more interested in the sort of odd you know supernatural type horror to me the sort of like hanging dread that there may be something that you don't understand you know it's all about the dread that's yeah. all I really yeah. want <laughs> the lingering yeah dread the creeping you know, dread that you know the whole town wants to you know make you a sacrifice or. You know, Ugh, that's a good film. <laughs> but then I, I also really like the um, if you we should go back and watch some of the like foundational like Italian horror films from like the 50s and 60s. I haven't seen any of that. Stuff. They're beautifully shot. Um, most of them in black and white. And then they they I mean, like sometimes they're really medieval, but they have this like great like. I, I, I like with Italy. I always think that it's like inspired by the sort of Catholicism, but this like fear of of devils and supernatural things. Mm-hmm. And I I really like those. Oh, find some of those for yeah. me. I've never seen any. Yeah, of Yeah, we should watch. We should watch some of those. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else for us on uh, before we uh, bat take our bow? <laughs> On well, uh, Phantasm. I'm just. I'm really glad that we went back and and saw it. I I I. Enjoyed this in a different way than I expected. I don't but, think you really knew what you were yeah, going to get. Yeah, I didn't. Um, but, you know, see it for the photography because it really does have pretty incredible night photography, um, which is not easy to shoot, you know, especially. And then the the soundtrack is just banging. It's just an awesome and soundtrack. the tall man is yeah. just fascinating. <laughs> it's a good... Iconic. I mean, he's like Slender Man, you yeah. know, if... if I mean, he's the same, although better because he has better eyebrows and better hair. Because the actor's name is actually Angus Scrim. That is like the best name. (laughs) Um, Also, Michael has like great hair. You know, he has great like seventies. Yeah, and then uh, um, Jody has that great outfit with the uh, the boots and the he's wearing a Rolling Stone T shirt and the the bowler hat. Yeah, well, he wears it like half the movie. I was like, does this guy ever change (laughs) clothes? We need a wardrobe change soon. Well, interesting thing, the film was filmed like all over California. Like the house is like actually it's in Oakland. It's like property of they the city. They said a lot of it was filmed in Chatsworth, California yeah. area. And the, yeah, so it's but like there's, um, I think the bar is mm-hmm. in Huntington Beach hmm. that he like yeah. randomly shows up to where he gets picked up by the yeah by the woman that is tall man the tall yeah. woman yes <laughs> the woman in purple. Well, now I'm replaying that. I'm thinking like yeah. okay, so the tall man disguises himself as a woman and goes to bars to pick up men no no yeah okay whatever I, it doesn't make sense don't try it's just a bad dream the kid is having yeah that's all it's all and it's all of his trauma yeah in dealing with the death of his family well i'm really glad you picked this yeah this is one of my favorite times of the year october where we choose a couple of creepy movies and you usually find stuff that i don't know anything about yeah so I know last year we did The Wicker Man, this year we're doing Phantasm, and now I have to think about what I'm going to drop in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I have a couple ideas, but I think you have seen more horror than I have, so it's a little harder. It's interesting because I don't consider myself to be, I mean, like, it's not like, like, I love creepy films, but I yeah. don't, like, and the, and part of this is is my conception is that when I was growing up, our conception of the horror film as the slasher film. And like, other than Halloween, I'm not a big fan of the slasher film. And so like, when I think of horror, that's what I think of. Well, that's what I think of when I think eighties horror. Yeah. Um, so, but what I do like is suspense, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and there are a lot of really great films that, I mean, they technically follow, fall in the horror genre But, like, I don't like, I mean, like, I know it's a classic. I don't like uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We watched it. Don't like it. It's not my thing. You know, it just creeps me out in weird ways that I just don't. Yeah. Um, Maybe I spend too much time in rural Texas or something like that. But, (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I, 
I guess I have seen a lot of those sort of, you know, it's, I mean, you know, it starts with stuff like, you know, Rosemary's Baby and The Haunting of Hill House. Um, mm. And then I just would branch out from there based on those sort of, you know, looking for. And what I found is that I liked a lot of those like Omen and The Wicker Man mm-hmm. and um, the weird one with Donald Sutherland that you showed me. You know, I just like the that feel. Don't look now. Yeah, I watch Poltergeist on TV, you know, an edited version on mm-hmm. Turner Classic, or not Turner Classic, on TBS on the weekends, you know. Um, That's I, probably the first <laughs> yeah. really scary movie that I saw in the movie theater yeah. when I was whatever, 11 or 12 or whenever yeah. that came out. Well, and I love The Exorcist. I, and, you know, I watched it, you know, when I watched it, my mom was like, you know, me and my uh, boyfriend, we saw that in the theater and he, he immediately had to run out and go to mass, you know, so, um, uh, which is <laughs> interesting. And they saw it in downtown Dallas and then they went to the Catholic church so he could go to mass immediately afterwards. So, um and I remember watching it and thought it was a fascinating film, but not being all that scared by yeah. it, you know. So, um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, tell your friends about the show. Find us on iTunes and give us a, a star review so other people can find us. And you can keep up with us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we will be back in uh, a couple weeks with my choice for an October probably horror or eerie film of some kind that Ashley's never seen before. Eerie film. Yes. So we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.